How are we doing today? So, no stress at Christmas time? None at all, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Absolutely, singing joy to the world every morning, waking up, fa la 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 la, right? We, we are there. We're just ready, aren't we? No, we're not, and I'm definitely not ready. I, I, I'm one that struggles with how long we prepare for Christmas, starting back about like June, uh, with all the, the way the world has pushed everything forward. And uh, it's interesting just to see how we react and how we respond, because we live in such a unique day. But here's the promise of Christmas. No matter what day we live in, it just reminds us, Jesus came once to show us who God is. He's coming again. We're going to be with him. Amen. We're going to talk about that today. And of all things, the book of James. Can you figure that out? At Christmas, we're still talking about the book of James. So open your Bibles or your tablets, whatever you're using right now, to find the book of James, uh, James chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12 today. As you're turning there, hey, tonight, men, uh, we're, we're wrapping up our last, uh, our last men's meeting of the year. And uh, it's going to be a great time tonight, 5 o'clock, over at Justin's house. There's an email went out. We'll have directions. Uh, see Justin if you're not sure where. But here's what I've been told. And that is Justin is preparing his award-winning chili for us to come tonight and to get to enjoy as he would say, his awesomeness. So whatever, right? Just some, uh, some good chili. We're going to have a great time uh, there tonight. Well, James chapter 5, we've been in this uh, series for a while called True Religion. We took that out of James chapter 1. And really what brought me into the book of James to, to lead us through it this year was that if you can imagine, here is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who not only came to serve the Lord, but actually was one of the first martyrs for Christianity. He gave his life for the gospel. And if you think about that, you know, what, what do you have to do to convince your half-brother that you are God and that uh, and you came in the flesh, and so much so that to the point that your half-brother would someday give his life because you came into this earth? Why well, I think the answer is very clear, and that's only one thing. It's the same thing that changes our lives, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Because James, the half-brother of Jesus, now wrote to a group of people who were trying to serve the Lord after Christ had ascended into heaven. They were facing all kind of controversy. They were not popular in their day. In fact, they were challenged greatly. In fact, the word says they were persecuted. They had all their belongings, all their security taken away under the persecution of Rome. And, and here they were trying to live out this gospel. And, and James wrote a letter to them. And we've been blessed now this side of the, of the gospel to, to share in this letter. And this morning, we're, we're going to talk about something that's very hard for all of us. I, I don't know how you grew up, but I, I grew up in a, in a church that was not big on um, uh, church calendar, okay? Uh, I did not know what Advent was except for a calendar at some friend's house that had candy in it, and I thought that was a pretty cool thing. But we never really did the whole Advent thing, and uh, honestly, until we started Hope Church, and uh, I'll throw out a name from the past, Mr. David Mobley came along and uh, brought his great Lutheran roots into us, and he, he walked us through Advent, and I thought that was really cool because Advent has a great purpose. And I've been walking through it personally this year through a devotion to really get it in my heart because Advent is about learning to wait well. How many of you guys wait well? We don't do so good in that, do we? It's learning to wait well. It's learning to, to look to the promises of God and be patient and understanding that they are coming true in our lives. But yet we live in a day where all the creativity of man, all the genius of man, it seems like it's singularly focused on eradicating from the face of this earth any need at all to be patient for anything. 
I mean, think about it. We, we are heaven-bent on making the thought of patience no longer being in our vocabulary because we should not have to wait for anything with the technology and the advances we've had. But here's the thing. Ironically, the more we make the world faster and easier, guess what? The more frustrated you and I have become because we expect everything instantly, don't we? You want to see a movie? Stream it. You don't need to go to a movie theater. You don't need to spend money on that. You just sit at home and stream it, right? Fast food. This one cracks me up. McDonald's has two drive through lines. As if you can't choke your arteries fast enough, now you can go through two lines because they want to get you in and out quicker than that. I mean, think about it. What do you mean, Amazon, that that two-day delivery is going to take three? Come on, the world is going to end if it doesn't show up on my step even now. Did you know that this week they did their first drone delivery? They did it in England, their first drone delivery. Came to the warehouse, not a single human touched it, picked it up, it, dropped it there on the front porch, and somehow it went off successful. Here, all these things are around us, but yet we are perpetually impatient even now. You know, when I was trained uh, to, do this job, to do ministry, to, to train in theological studies, uh, things were quite different. Uh, I know for some in this room, you have a hard time understanding this, but I actually went to a thing called a library that, um, that had books. And they had these little cases up front that were full of little drawers, and there were all these little cards in those drawers, and they were followed by something called what? Help me out here. Anybody? The Dewey Decimal System, right? And you had to thumb through all the cards to try to find the book you were looking for, and if you found the book, uh, then you had to do something called copy pages out of that book. You couldn't take a picture of it and email it to yourself. In fact, when I was doing my master's work, I had to drive to Richmond, Virginia to a particular library because there was a book they had there that nobody else had. And I remember being there, and I was so frustrated because the copy machine was five cents a copy. And I'm like, nobody told me to bring nickels, right? And I'm, I'm like, do you take a debit card? No. Okay, so it was like, put the nickels in, and you're making copy after copy after copy. Why? Because it's the only way you could take it home and study off of it. The faster we've gotten, the more frustrated we are. And the problem is, is it's really not good for our souls. It's really not good for how God made us because, you see, the Lord values patience in his children. The Lord values patience in each one of us. And I'm not necessarily talking about patience in the sense of not yelling at your kid or not yelling at your spouse or, or these days yelling at your Screen. Can I get a witness, anybody? Why aren't you going fast enough? What is this download taking? How many remember dial-up? Yeah, that sound will never leave, right? It's like, no. I was in a restaurant the other day, and sure enough, they had dial-up, and I heard that sound. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're not going to be eating for like an hour here, right? But, uh, you know, but that was fast back then. But we're thinking of things like, well, yeah, I, I lose patience from time to time, and I, I might say some things or I might lift my voice because, you know, on this world, there's a lot of things to lose patience with. But I don't think God was caring that much about the, the smaller issues of patience. Oh, he cares about those things. He wants us to be gentle. He wants us to be uh, forward in our speaking. But I think God has a higher understanding of what patience and perseverance means to us because in order to have persevering, glad-hearted faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, we have to be a people that learn to wait well, we have to be a people that learn what it is to be patient. And James speaks to this here in chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. 
You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. Let me just kind of stop there because that verse always kind of gets, why is that even there? He's not saying don't cuss or curse wherever you're from, which way you use that. He's saying don't add words to your prayers like I swear to God or, or those type of things as if somehow you're going to manipulate God to move faster than he's already moving, right? He says, no, no, don't do that. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, God, I know it's, uh, it's kind of the, the joke of men to say never preach on patience because we're going to have to live it out. But Lord, I know today, God, as we've walked through your word, I, I believe you're speaking to us in this season of celebration, this season of, uh, of cheer, this also season of stress, that Lord, your word is still true today, God, that Lord, you want us to be people that wait well. God, you want us to be people that learn to persevere. And God, I ask you today, God, to help us. That, Father, even as this word speaks into our lives, God, the Holy Spirit will take it. It will become alive in us. And, God, we'll be changed, God. And, Lord, our witness will grow, God, because of our, our, our forward look into who you are and, God, what you're doing. So, Father, give us ears to hear this morning, God. Give us heart to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're following along on version, you'll see the, the notes there. But, basically, James was pointing out about four truths in this passage that deal with you and I right now. And there are four truths that we need to really build our faith and our life on if we are going to, to excel as the witnesses of those who represent Christ. And he begins with something that for all millennia, from the time that Christ was here, people have been looking for, and that is this. He said that we need to be patient because the Lord is coming. Be patient for the Lord is coming. You know, since the time that Christ rose from the grave, appeared to man, and then ascended back into heaven with his promise, I'm coming back, can I tell you that every believer, every Christian's heart and imagination has been focused on the thought, the Lord is coming back. And you see, we struggle with that because Christian history is linear, right? We, we, we have a beginning, and we, we know there's an end out here that, that goes on forever and eternity, but yet we keep looking back in order to look forward. We keep looking back, wondering where God is doing, and we keep moving forward because God is doing something new in us. And inside of each one of us, there's something that we move toward, and that is the day that Christ returns. And he consummates the, the finished work of the cross. He, he completes everything he came to do, and we focus our imagination there. We concentrate on that. We have it as our hope and our prayer. Our God is coming back. Our Savior is returning. And he gives us a great picture. Because when you quite understand what he's coming to do when he returns, it builds something inside of you. It helps us now to know what's coming then. It helps us now to understand the promises of God are true, that he is returning for us. In Revelation 21, uh, just this beautiful picture of what it's going to be like when our Lord returns here on this earth. The word says in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. How many know this earth needs a little help, Right? both in its physicalness and definitely in its spirituality. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That's enough. Right there, we can just stop right there. He will dwell with us and be our God. But look at this, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. How many of you need something new in your life today? Just to be honest, amen? That we need something new. God is something new in us. But he said, all this old order is going to pass away, and the things we struggle with now, he said, we're not going to struggle with then. He said, because there's going to be no more pain, no sorrow. And that's where our hope hinges on. It's, it's not a maybe someday we'll get to experience this. It is a reality that God has promised to us that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it is closer now than it's ever been because we are moving on that linear line towards the day that God says, son, it's time to go get your bride. And like most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all, we're all racing through time. This year flew. Can anybody give a witness to that? It just flew. You look at our kids this morning, you're like, oh my goodness, you know? They're, they're just like, moving fast. Life is going too quickly before us, but yet something inside of us wants it to move a little faster because we want to come to that place where we believe that Christ is coming back for our lives. And we were crossing off our calendars and we're looking and saying, God, they've been saying this from the beginning. Lord, when are you coming? The hope doesn't diminish. It it builds because he has shown us again and again that our God's word is true. We look at those days and we say, God, there's going to be this day we're looking for where every difficulty, where every suffering, where every weariness and depression and anxiety and, and lustful perversions, all the things that, that, that surround this life that we're in right now, there'll no longer be a need to fight the good fight. There'll no longer be a need to hang in there because guess what? The new order comes. The old order passed away, and our hope is fulfilled in Christ coming back. So the first thing James said to these people who are being persecuted, they're going about it. Here we are, millennia later, going, hey, guys, sorry you didn't see it. But you know what? They went after it, and they trusted that Christ was returning, and it gave them hope. And can I tell you, we need that same hope today. One of the signs of the end times, we studied this this past year, is that people are going to say, oh, where's his return? We've heard that from the beginning. We, We think it's all a big hoax that's when the Bible says, be ready, because in a twinkling of an eye, the Lord's going to come, and there's not going to be warning. There's not going to be like a, like a preview, right? It's not going to be like the movies, and you go see the, hey, coming soon. No, it's already been told, Christ is returning. So he says, be patient. Be willing to wait. Wait well in that, because there's a second thing in this scripture he says that we are patient about, and it's so important. He says to be patient, because while we are waiting, God is accomplishing something in each of us. Did you know that God is doing something fresh in your life today? Do you know that God is changing you this morning? Maybe you're like me and you're like, God, it's not happening fast enough, but God is doing something in us. And he gives us this illustration to kind of balance it out. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. He ties it back to the beginning. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. Here's the thing. I think in our clear, more, more, more calm moments, we get that. I think in our, in our moments of clarity, we, we understand that, that like this farmer has to sow seed, and then he has to wait, and he has to wait, and he has to wait, and there's faith involved because the seed's going to eventually grow up and yield a crop. In the same way, in our clear moments, we get that. But I don't know about you, but in our difficult moments, we don't get it too well. We, we don't wait too well. We're like, God, why is it taking so long? 
God, why is this habit still seeming controlling my life? God, why is it my thought life is not where I want it to be, God? God, why is it I I say, God, I've given over this pain or I've given over this, this hurt, God, I have forgiven, but why is it in the quiet moments of my heart and my mind, things keep coming back as like a replay, God, and all it does is build back up the anger in my life. But James would say, look, God is doing a work in you. And learning to wait well is understanding that God works on his time and not always on our time. And it's okay in our weakness, it's okay in our moments where we are not all that, to be able to fall in the grace of God and say, God, I know I ought to be further along right now, but God, I'm trusting you. And my hope is in you, God. And when these things come back up in me, God, all it does is drive me back to my needs and say, God, I, I need your mercy. And God, I need your grace. And he gives his grace without measure. He gives his grace abundantly into our lives. See, we forget sometimes that we're on this linear track. For some, it has not been that long ago that you were saved. And you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And by his grace... Your sins were forgiven, and you walked into this new life, this new journey with God where you're now called a child of God. But when you did that, you entered into this process that's called sanctification. Now, I don't know about you, but I I would kind of like to believe that it would be really cool if sanctification took place all at once. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you get saved, boom, perfection. But if that's the case, then Lord, take us home because it's not getting any better than that, right? But we have this progressive sanctification. In other words, we are growing we are shaping, we are changing. God help us if we ever, not, if we ever stop growing and changing. But he is progressively working in us. He's moving us forward. But here's the thing we don't like, and that is this, that God will use both the joys of our lives, but he also use the sorrows in our lives to conform us into the image of his son. He uses everything. I wrote long ago in my journal, God never wastes an experience. God never wastes an experience, good or bad. He's going to find some way to use it to build us more to the image of his son. And if we're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, can I tell you something this morning? Difficulty and waiting is not God somehow punishing us. God God is not punitive. He's He's not making you wait longer because you didn't have a good quiet time with the Lord this week, okay? No, it is part of what we live through here on this earth. You see, we need to remind ourselves in the middle of our difficulties, middle of our trials, that we are greatly loved by God, that we are freely loved by God, that we are fully accepted in Christ as his son or his daughter. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have work to do in us, but yet we are fully loved by him. Every parent understands that. Every parent gets that. Because there are times as you're raising your kids, you, you can't, let I me mean, think about it. When they come as out as these little babies, what do we do? We're just like, oh. This is so awesome. And we're like sweet kissing all over them. This is great. My sugar bear, all those kind of things. And then as they start growing, they start developing this thing called attitude. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have one, right? And they start developing this thing called attitude. And, and yet we start not liking them as much as we did when they were the little baby. But yet we love them with an unconditional love, Right? And even when they're growing, there are times we have to take them through processes of discipline. Nobody likes that. But yet, if you love them, what does the Bible say? The person that is loved, there's discipline there, right? Because if you don't love your kid, you'll never discipline them. Just let the world take them, do whatever they want, right? But it's a process that we understand because our love never changes for them, but yet we have to walk them through a process because we know they are growing and maturing to become something that hopefully reflects the God that you reveal to them. We're in the same path. God God loves us, 
Sometimes he, he may look down and wonder why, but he loves us and he's patient with us and he leads us uh, through the trials of life and those trials are meant to bring us into more of a walk that reflects him. We talked about it back in chapter one. Look, look back at James chapter one real quick. James chapter one we, was one of the first messages out of this series. He said in verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Are we there yet? Anybody? Are we there yet? No. We're still in the process, right? Doesn't matter if you were saved two weeks ago or you were saved 50 years ago. We're still in the process that God is working all these things to our good because God is accomplishing something. He's producing fruits of righteousness. So the word says, be patient then. Let God work through your struggle. Because here's what I can guarantee you. God will work through your joy. And he's at work in the middle of your joy. But he is also at work in the middle of your losses. He's also at work in the middle of the trials at life. He's at work in your fight. When you're trying to fight and hang on to, to this life, God is working right there. So don't lose hope. Be patient with God because he's accomplishing great things in you. He's accomplishing. He's building his, your confidence. He's breaking your idolatry. He is working through life so that we will say to him one day, he is our God and we serve him forever. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But we're not patient. We come to the altar, we come to communion, we confess a sin, we're like, God, thank you for delivering me from that sin. God, bless, praise God. And then the next week when temptation comes and we hit right up against it again, somehow we think we've done something wrong. Can I'm telling you, it's process. God working in us. The things that I used to struggle with years ago, I don't struggle with now. It doesn't mean they don't come up, but my faith has grown to recognize when they come up and I'm able to slay them right there in the name of Jesus. But yet there are struggles we all face. And what James is saying to them is, in your struggle, be patient. In your journey, be patient. Because God is at work in you. And one of the true signs that you're walking patiently, that is the third thing that he shows in the scripture. And that is, be patient then with each other. How do you know you're maturing in Christ? You're able to be patient with each other. You're able to do what the scripture says in verse 9 of James chapter 5. He says, don't grumble against one another. Can we just bow our heads right now? We're going to have an altar call about this and just, you know, God forgive. No, we, we, we are bad about that. What's wrong with them? Why do they act that way? My goodness, they say they're Christians, aren't they? Can I tell you, as much as other believers may get on your nerves, you get on their nerves just as badly. It is, it is just part of life. We are different, and because we are different, sometimes we, we come against each other in, in ways that are not, not healthy, and because of that, we lose sight that every individual around us who has claimed Jesus their Savior has received the same grace that we have received. It's no different. We're forgiven of sin just as we were forgiven of sin. And guess what? We don't have to go back and rehearse what our sins were to compare ourselves to our sins and say, oh, well, my sins are worse, so God's grace was greater. No. His grace is sufficient for all of our need. And so what James is saying here, he says, look, if you're going to be patient, the Lord is coming. If you're going to be patient, God is doing something in us. One of the surefire ways to know that you're walking in that is you're learning to be patient with each other. I think one of the greatest tools of the enemy to rob our joy. I think one of the greatest tools of Satan to rob the joy in the church is simply this. 
I think he robs it by getting us to focus on others and to look at them and compare ourselves with them. And here's what we do. We don't ever focus on their strengths. We focus on their weaknesses. And if we see their weaknesses, what does it do? It takes the joy out of us because we start thinking wrongly. We start comparing ourselves with them and we start grumbling about other people and if we're not careful, the church, the beautiful bride of Christ, this, this living witness that the world should see and say, that's a great God. Looks like something we wanna hide in the corner and say, please don't look right now because we are works in progress, right? It's like the bumper sticker, like, you know, we are works in progress, forget the excuse. We are his, amen? And because we are his, he is able to lead us and guide us and gives us his Holy Spirit. But to do so, we've gotta learn to work with each other. And I think we know that. I think theologically we get it. None of us are complete. I really do. I think, and I have confidence in that. We, we understand the Lord is still working in each and every one of us. But here's the challenge. Every one of us is in a different phase of development. Do you understand that? Every one of us is walking through different challenges. What may, what may be something I struggle with, you may look at it and go, I don't even understand why this is a struggle. And some of the things you're struggling with, I may look at it and go, really? That, that's what you're struggling with? We, we all have different challenges because guess what? We've all walked different journeys. And I don't know about you, but when I got saved, the chains fell off, but the habits didn't. The chains were broken, but it took some time to work out some things that had become common in my life. And in the same way, that's happening all around us. So when you see a brother or sister struggling, or you see someone that maybe, maybe they came to church with an attitude like that never happens, or maybe your kid and their kid get crossways, and you think they're the most horrible mother in the world, uh, how could they dare raise their kid to be such a little brat, and all those kind of things, stop. Because here's what James says. When you do that, guess what you're doing? You're becoming the judge. And he says the real judge is standing at the door. I don't, want, I don't want to stand before that judge while I'm judging you, right? Come on. Church, this is, this is like rubber meets the road Christianity right here. This is why the world is sitting back going, why do I care about what the church does? They fight like the rest of us. They're just as petty. They're just as, you know, little-minded as anybody else because we haven't gotten this. And James is saying to these people who are under great stress, and you know what great stress does? It brings out the worst in us. So under great stress, he's saying to them, look, don't judge each other. Learn to extend the same mercy that you would want back from them. Because God is the one who's most merciful. And God has been merciful to us, so don't grumble. Be patient with your brothers because they are a work in progress. And then he finishes up this teaching with, with an example that just blows me away. Because the last thing he says to us about being patient is first, be patient, the Lord's coming. Be patient, God is working in you. Be patient with each other. But then he finishes it by saying to us, be patient because God's promises are always true. And he does it in such a way that I think it's going to take us a little bit this morning, kid. Because he says, brothers and sisters, verse 10, verse 10, chapter 5. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. Have you read Hebrews lately? Hebrews 11, 12, that area? Just go read that this afternoon because it'll kind of give you a whole different look at this because it didn't end so well for most of them. But yeah, they, they kept serving God all the way. But he said, just take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And as you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I think James could have picked a better book in the Bible to try to refer back to as encouragement to say, okay, everybody go read the book of Job this afternoon and write in your journal how encouraged you are, right? Those that are not looking blankly at me, maybe you've never read Job, okay? But it's most, the most unlikely book that we would take someone that needs encouragement. You know, no, we would refer them to like the book of John or Psalms or Proverbs, but no, we would probably not say, here, go read Job and talk to me when you're done. But Job is a story that the early Christians knew. Job was a story that they understood. Job was a story that really was an encouragement to them. Here's the, here's the story of Job in a nutshell, all right? My, Mike, Mike's quick version this morning, okay? This will wake a few of you guys up. So here's God on his throne, right? And the Bible says that the angels, sons of men, they, they began to come by the throne. That was their, their routine. God was having communion with them, fellowship with them, and even one of them was Lucifer, who we know as Satan, who we know as the accuser of the brethren. And one day as he walks in, God looks over at Lucifer and says, hey, what's up? What you been doing? He says, oh, I've been, I've been going out and checking out the, the men of the earth. I've been, I've been seeing your creation. I've been seeing what's happening around us. And, uh, and he says, God says, well, when you're out there, have you seen my servant Job? Satan says, as a matter of fact, I have. And you know what? He only praises you because you've blessed him. He only praises you because you've made him rich. You gave him seven kids. He is one of the wealthiest men of the earth. You've done so much in his life. That's the only reason he ever blesses you, God. But if you let me take away all that you've given him, he'll curse your name. Now, if you never read the story of Job about that point, you're waiting for God to intervene and say what? Uh Uh-uh, no, you're not doing that. But God says, go ahead. Aren't you? (laughs) That just messes with theology, doesn't it? God says, go for it. Take everything away. And we read the story of Job, and and it seemed like almost moments, or maybe it took days, he loses everything. All seven of his children die in horrible ways. All of his wealth vanishes. And the only thing he has left in his life is his wife. And we're going to find out he'd rather God had left the dog than left the wife. Because it wasn't a good thing. What happens is when all has gone, when all the seven kids are gone, when all the wealth has vanished, the Bible says that Job tore his clothes, put sackcloth and ashes on, and he says something so profound. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, I couldn't do that. I don't think I could do that. And then the story goes on, and Here's God around the throne again, and here comes all the angels through again, and here comes Lucifer, and God goes, oh, oh, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Do y'all hear that? I think I, I think I hear someone singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. I think I hear someone singing, that they trust in me. I think I hear someone singing, it is well with my soul. I love that song. Don't you love that song, Lucifer? And the accuser says, well, you know the only reason he's still praising you is because you didn't touch his health. The only reason you still think he's praised, you think it's so cool, God, that he's worshiping you, let me tell you something. The only reason he's doing that is because he still has his health. And if you let me take his health away, I guarantee you, he is going to curse your name. And God says, okay, but don't kill him. Now, now understand something right there, just a little sidebar. 
The world makes Satan out to be this omnipotent being. He is not. He is limited in his power. He's limited in his strength. He's constantly asking permission. And God only gives parameters because he, he is the only one who is omnipotent. The Bible tells us that Satan let out an attack on Job's life, and from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he broke out in boils and blisters. Here he sits in sackcloth and ashes. He has a clay pot. He's scraping his skin, and his wife comes along, and she's not dripping with sugar and honey, but she says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die, you old fool. Now, can you imagine Job like, thanks, babe. Man. Just what I needed right now. You know, the dog that was looking at my wounds, I think I like him better than you right now, okay? But isn't that just like it? And we look at this and we're like, well, then where do they get encouragement out of this? Because they knew the rest of the story. Because they knew over centuries of time the story of Job had been told, and they didn't stop there where he's sitting listening to his wife saying, curse God and die. He, they, didn't, they didn't stop where a bunch of three very idiotic friends come around and try to just blow up his theology. But they, say, they, they stood on the faith that what God promised to do, he did in Job's life. And in the end, God restored, and God blessed, and God healed. They knew the last five chapters of Job, just not the first three. And because of that, James was able to say to them, listen, you know the stories of old. You know you can look back over centuries at God's faithfulness to the prophets and to Job. And can I tell you that no one has suffered like them? No one has suffered like them. Now, I know, I know even here at Hope this morning, I'm looking around, I know this. I know we have loss in this room, okay? I get it. I, I know we have struggle in this room. We have difficulty. But I don't know any one of us who've lost seven children and ended up homeless and dying of a disease and their wife says, curse God and die. I don't think so. And that's why Job's the illustration here because no one has a trump card over Job in the Bible until Jesus came along. No one had ever suffered like Job had until Jesus came along. But he used Job as a picture of God's mercy and compassion to say to these people who were scattered, he said, listen, hang in there. God's promises are true. Hang in there. He will come through for you. God's never betrayed you. He's never failed you. Listen, I'm not saying we never have to endure difficulty. That's a false gospel. I'm not, I'm not saying this morning that, that you have not experienced sorrow. I'm not saying that, that there aren't things that are horrible or broken or just wrong in this world. But I'm saying this this morning, and that is this. In this linear line of God's history in our lives, the old will pass away and the new will come. The things that we struggle with someday will cease. They'll no longer have any effect on our lives. So it's clear from the Bible that, that we stand in this place now where we just don't get it. I love the old, the old language of the Bible. It says we now look through a glass darkly. In other words, we just don't see life the way God sees it. I think it was Augustine that said that, uh, that we, we now, us believers, we are people that are like, have you ever been to a place with real intricate stained glass? You know what I'm talking about, like the old church cathedrals and uh, those kind of things? He said, we are like people who are, who are looking at life with our nose up against the stained glass. All we see is cracks. All we see is discoloration. All we see is chaos. But it's not until we step away from it. It's not until we move away from that moment that we see the beauty of what is created. And in the same way, right now, our lives, we may feel like all we're seeing is the chaos. 
All we're seeing is the cracks. All we're seeing is the broken promises. All that we're seeing are the things that have hurt our lives. But God sees the whole picture, and he leads us there because his promises are true. He said he will hold us. He said he will care for us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I won't leave you alone. I, I know, I was thinking about it this morning. We, we talk about years that we're glad they're over, right? And I know for me personally, I, I was thinking of you this morning. I was just praying, preparing, coming in this morning. I was like, God, y'all have seen me this year go through a lot of stuff that I don't want to go through again. And, and I wrote, I said, you know, I, I know what it is to have the telephone ring and all of a sudden Genesis 3 world becomes very real to you because loss happens. I, I know what it is for the brokenness of the world to invade my life. It's coming up on a year that I buried my father in January. Y'all walk with me through the surgery this year that was just ridiculous. We've walked through a lot together. But you know what I can tell you? Not just as your pastor, but as your friend, as a fellow human, as another struggler, as one who has to walk in the same way every day that you walk in, I know that in every one of those moments, God was very present. He was very real. And he held us together. I, you know, we, we say things like, I don't know if I could go through that. I don't know if I could ever face that kind of thing. We see what other people go through. I say, I don't think I'm as strong as them. You don't know that. Because only in that moment do you experience the presence of God in a reality like you've never experienced before. And in those moments when you experience him invasion into your life, here's what he does. He sustains us. And not only does he sustain us, I don't even know how he does it, but somehow he injects joy into the middle of the difficulty. Why? Because he is with us and his love is everlasting. So when James says be patient, God's promises are true. We should know they are and we should trust them you know here we are we're a few days away of celebrating them the day that god broke out and came to this earth like you and i and walked as a man among us we celebrate just in a few days god coming and experiencing our pain but also experiencing our celebrations he witnessed our inability to save ourselves. He witnessed the inability of ourselves to, to stand up and complete his law and ultimately came to die so that you and I now today can say we are blessed because when he rose from the grave, his grace came into our lives. His faith came into our lives. And now as a reminder, we look to Jesus. I was sharing at our single moms meeting on, on Monday night. We were talking about waiting. And I said, asked him a question. I said, how long was it between the promise that Jesus was coming the first time and he actually came? How long was it between Isaiah 6 and, and, and Jesus actually coming? I'm not going to ask you to give me an answer because it's not Bible trivia today, all right? 700 years. We're not going to live 700 years. But sometimes it feels like the promises may be that far off they're not you see the blessing came to those who were waiting and watching for him when Jesus came to this earth in the Christmas story it was those that were waiting and watching that got it it was the shepherds in the field it was the the the, the kings and the wise men it was those that were looking for him and scripture tells us blessed are those now 
who are looking for his return. Who every day live with an eternal viewpoint that say, God, it may stink a lot right now. God, it may hurt a lot right now. But God, I know this, you're coming. I know this, you're working something in me. God, I know this, you've surrounded me with people that I am to love and get to know and to work with God. And sometimes they may not like me, sometimes they may not like them. But God, you said we are to work together and not judge each other. And God, we do this together because we are all looking for your promises to work in our lives. You see, until the return of Christ, we're still going to live in the Genesis 3 world. We're still going to live in this fallen world, and it scars every one of us. But here's the promise, and here's where we close this today. And it's found in a little book called Jude. I thought it was funny when I typed it in for your, your, your tablets or whatever. It says, Jude chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, okay? Verse 24. Why don't we do this? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read this together. I think sometimes it's good to speak it out. James says, wait, he's coming. Be patient. God's not done with you yet. Be patient with your neighbor. Be patient with God because his promises are true. And here's what it says in Jude, verse 24. Put it up on the screen. Our little kids already did it today. Let's outdo them, all right? Speak it out. Would you do that? To him. It's like, speak with me. Ready? (laughs) To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. I can't think of a better Christmas message than to say, wait well. I can't think of a more real moment than right now. In this I know, God is here to remind you of his goodness this morning.